0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll return to John's Gospel, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, but today I wanted us to come together and think about and observe together uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, One of the two ordinances of the church, whereby we think about the grace of God. I've entitled this, "The Baptism and the Lord's Supper Celebrations of of God's grace or celebrations of grace because that's really what they are. They're memorials, they're memories. Now, I want to say one word before I get into this, and that is just a a real word of appreciation to both uh, Todd and Scott for the last uh, couple of Sundays while we were on vacation. Uh, Red and I had the joy of using them as we traveled to listen to their sermons uh, on the road. And uh, they both did outstanding jobs, great expositions of Scripture. And I'm appreciative to both of you for, for the job you've done. And uh, I'll let them do that again one of these days, before long maybe. But Well, Scott will tonight while I'm doing the Grace Connect class. But it's, uh, it, was, it was just great to be able to know that I was away, I was relaxing, and I wouldn't have to be worried about what was being said in this pulpit and uh, who was standing here. because Some of our own were standing here, and I'm appreciative of that. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul's account of what uh, Scott read from the Gospels just a little earlier that is, the Last Supper, the the Lord's Supper, the, the Passover that was being celebrated by Jesus with his disciples just prior to his death, just before he went to the cross. He spent that time with them talking about this Passover that they'd all observed for all their lives. Because the, the Israelites have been observing that for generation after generation, ever since the Exodus. And now he comes to them and he says, I want you to understand that these elements of the Passover, this unleavened bread, this wine that we're about to have, that make up so much of the, of the Passover, I want you to understand that I am reinterpreting those for you. Because what those were all about were not just about the Exodus. They weren't just about getting out of Egypt. They weren't just about you know, protecting the firstborn as the angel of death flew by, came by. But those elements of the, of the Passover were prophetic elements. They were foretelling elements. They were telling about what was yet to come. They were pr- foretelling about the Messiah that would yet come and shed his blood and have his body given that his people might live. and Jesus said to his disciples there in the upper room, I want you to understand that these bread, this bread and this wine that we have observed for so long in our lives, looking at the Passover, was always about me. It was always about my ministry. It was always about my purpose for coming into the world. It was always pointing forward that we might, that, that you might see and might understand. But Paul was not there for that Passover. Paul was not there in the upper room with the disciples as as Judas betrayed the Lord and went out from them. Paul was not there, but Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 11, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. You can only, only imagine, only assume, I suppose, that our Lord in meeting with the apostle Paul there in the Arabian desert for three years, he talks about that in several places, After our Lord's death and burial and resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, the indication is that that Paul met with the Lord for a period of time before Paul embarked on his ministry as an apostle. And, And we can only assume here that that's where Jesus taught Paul these things that Paul is sharing with us. For what I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, and this is it, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Paul will go on and talk about in this passage, examining ourselves, and we'll talk about that briefly briefly as we come to the table, but I want you to see this this key idea that Paul gives in verse 26. After talking about the elements, after talking about what took place on that night that the Lord had shared with him, Paul makes this statement, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does this meal, what does this supper, what do these elements teach us about Christ's death. Well, there's a lot that we can say about the life of Christ and the death of Christ, but but all of that, all, all about the death of Christ is, is really wrapped up in these, in, in these elements that we're about to partake of. First of all, we need to understand that the Lord's death was a violent death. I, it goes without saying that Jesus did not pass away peacefully in his bed at night. He did not pass away just of natural causes. His death was a violent death whereby he was arrested and taken and beaten and scourged and mocked and and spit upon and finally hung on a cross, hung on a tree there to die, suffocating from the pain and the suffering, having his wrists and his ankles driven through with nails, having his side pierced with a a spear, our Lord died a very violent death, drawing and pulling to get his own breath, to be able to, to take a breath because of his own weight pulling against him, the gravity pulling down against him. Our Lord's death was a very violent death perpetrated upon him by evil men, religious leaders, Roman authorities, and you and me, and you and me. It's easy to look back historically and say, how evil were those religious leaders? How evil were those Jewish leaders that they called for his death. How evil when when Pilate said, I'll give you the Barabbas or I'll give you Jesus, that they cried out, give us Barabbas, the criminal, the one who was in jail deservedly, the one who was facing death deservedly. And they said, no, give us Barabbas. You take Jesus and crucify him, crucify him. There was violence in their words. There was violence in their tone. There was violence in their acts. Pilate took him saying, this man has done no harm, has done no wrong, and I wash my hands of it. Oh, that he wishes he could. He condemns Jesus to die, to die between two thieves, to die between two men who deserve that death. And he who knew no sin hung there. He who knew no sin hung there and became sin, Paul will later say, so that we who are unrighteous, we who are filled with sin may have the righteousness, may literally be the righteousness of God. Paul earlier in this same book in, in chapter 2, verse 8, made this statement. He's talking about, well, starting in verse 6, really, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. He's talking about the cross here. We speak God's wisdom hidden, hidden wisdom, wisdom in a mystery, hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Whoever thought up the method of death, of crucifixion, was indeed a sadistic person. We think about the electric chair. We think about lethal injection. We even think about hanging by the neck until dead from a rope as being barbaric. Let me tell you something. Those are peaceful, calm ways of death compared to crucifixion on a cross. It was a violent death that he suffered. But it was a violent death because it had to accomplish a very powerful result. I love the way Charles Wesley put it in his hymn when he says... He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean his blood availed for me. Very much the same sentiment that we sang about a few minutes ago in Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. My chains were broken. My chains fell off and I'm set free. I rise and I go forth and I follow Christ because of the power of his death. It was a violent death but it had to be violent to accomplish what it needed to accomplish. It was not only a violent death, but it was a sacrificial death. It was a sacrificial death that was promised for centuries. As they looked forward to the coming of Messiah, they looked forward to the coming of the one who would break the bonds of sin completely. It was first prophesied in the Garden of Eden after the fall. After Adam and, had, Adam and Eve had fallen into sin in Eden, and, and the truth was spoken that, that he may bruise the heel of the seed, but the seed would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan. The word that is used is pro, proto or the proto-gospel, the promise. The promise that was given right after the fall and that centuries and centuries of prophets and wisdom writers and and, and those writing the scripture through God's inspiration had talked about and promised, had looked forward to. The promise that every single sheep, every single lamb that was offered as a sacrifice pointed to. His death was a sacrificial death that was promised throughout the centuries. It was a covenantal death. Paul talks about it here just a bit, and and he talks about him bringing us to Christ, his his death bringing us in a special way to uh, to an understanding of what the gift is that is being given. But the writer of Hebrews makes it about as clear as can be made in Hebrews 8, 6, when he says that he, Christ, in his death, is the mediator of a better covenant. The mediator of a better covenant covenant. Jesus said, Paul reflects, that that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A a better covenant, a new covenant, a covenant that is effectual. It's not a covenant that has to be renewed. It's not a covenant that is, is weak, but it's a stronger and a better covenant. It's a violent death. It's a sacrificial death, and it is a covenantal death. It's also a conquering death. He conquers sin, conquers death itself. And the resurrection is the proof of that on on the last few Sunday nights. You've talked about in prayer out of Ephesians 1, the resurrection of Christ being the the visualization and the verification of Christ's power to overcome death. And, And this death that he dies is a conquering death demonstrated by his resurrection. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. But he was set free because that death overcame death. I love John Owen, the great Puritans' work. It's it's a massive work. It's a difficult work to read, but it's a valuable work in which he just talks about the death of death in the death of Christ. That's the title. And the whole concept is that in Christ's death, death died for all who believe we're going to talk about that in baptism in just a little bit. Men and women, young people who have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, who have been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, and they are, they are going to testify that this new covenant has brought about a conquering in their lives, an overcoming in their lives. It's conquered sin. It's brought about forgiveness. His death is a magnificent death, a death unlike any other death in all of history, and a death that we focus upon. Some are bothered that we focus upon death. Some are bothered that in our day and time that we focus upon blood. Say, oh, it's a bloody thing. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's dirty. It, 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 it ought not even be spoken of. Let's just talk about the niceties of Jesus' life. You cannot talk about just the niceties of Jesus' life and understand what he came to do. Jesus Christ, that sweet little baby lying in a manger. Jesus Christ, that magnificent miracle worker who healed the sick and, and raised the dead and who, who, turned the, who, who fed the hungry as they heard him speak in 5,000 at one case, 4,000 in another. This Jesus who did all sorts of miraculous things cannot be understood just in his miracles and in his manger birth. His his life, his work, his person, his purpose can only be fully understood when you look at his death that culminated in his resurrection. So Paul says that this death is important. As a matter of fact, when you come to this table, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you proclaim his death, the Lord's death, until he comes what in the world does the bible mean when it says that we proclaim christ's death at the lord's table i think there's several things i think one is we have to first think about inwardly inwardly or internally in our own individual relationship with christ internally inwardly first of all when we come to this table We must grieve over our own sin. We must recognize once again that it was our sin that sent him to that cross. It wasn't just the Roman soldiers. It wasn't just the Jewish authorities. It wasn't just those who were around shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But it was every one of us down through the centuries whose sin sent him to that cross. And whose sin he took upon himself when he hung there we must grieve over our own sin. I think that's why Paul says on in this passage that we're not going to really expound today, but I want you to think about it. He said whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the body and the blood of the Lord. But let each man and woman as they come examine himself. And in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Paul says Reflect on your own sin. Grieve over your own sin. Examine your own life and come to repentance even this morning as we come to this table. You may say, oh, I've I've already repented. I'm a believer. I've trusted Christ. I repented years ago. Repentance is not a one-time thing, my friend. Repentance is a way of life for the Christian. Grieving over our own sin. Repenting of our own sin. And then we also must rejoice in Christ. That's what it means to inwardly proclaim his death. We rejoice in him. We worship him. We praise him. We acknowledge him. But we find our rejoicing in Christ. In a few moments as we take those elements, I'm going to read a passage from Galatians. Paul says, may it never be that I boast in anything except the cross of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. But then there's the external matter also. We not only proclaim his death through our internal grieving over sin, our internal rejoicing over Christ, but we do it externally. We do it together. We do it corporately in this place. First of all, by praising God as our Father. As we, as we looked weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, we heard those words of, of Paul saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. We rejoice. We praise God as our Father. We rejoice in our adoption as sons and daughters of God, not Legal birthright, because we all are received only by grace, but we come to Him to praise Him as Father. But, but the second thing, not only do we praise Him in corporate worship, not only do we lift our voices in worship to Him in this place and, and be reminded of our adoption and His fatherhood, but we also must not be ashamed before others of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of you here this morning know this, but many of you don't. So I'll tell you, right below this pulpit, straight down, carefully marked out, is is a Bible encased in a steel box buried in the concrete foundation, the slab of of this sanctuary. And right under this pulpit is a Bible that is opened and highlighted. You'll never see it, there's a Bible that's open and highlighted to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's how we proclaim his death until he comes. We live by, we proclaim, we, we express the gospel to others. In our day, again, that's not a popular thing to do. It's a very embarrassing thing to do because to to be able to proclaim the gospel, you have to be able to say, I believe there is truth. And I've been reminded this week again by several of our college students who who are off at college and who have been told that in the first week of classes, several of their professors have been very clear to, to enunciate to them and try to convince them that there is no such thing as truth. There's no right and wrong. There is no good and bad. There's only what is right and wrong for you, good and bad for you, truth for you. What a horrible way to live. Someone said they would ask the professor then, does that mean there's no right and wrong answers on the test you're going to give me? <laughs> I mean, if, it, if they're going to be consistent, they've got to be consistent. Everything is right. But that's not true. To live the gospel, to reflect the gospel, to speak the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel is to say that we are not ashamed of the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. That, my friend, is the ultimate truth, the ultimate truth of God, the ultimate truth of the gospel. And in this meal, we proclaim that. And then we continue to, as we speak it, we also live it day by day as disciples of Jesus Christ. We live it day by day. I love how the psalmist put it in Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14. He said, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? In other words, what shall I give back to to the Lord for his salvation, for what he has done in my life For how he has changed my life. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Here it is. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Psalmist says, I will praise him. I will worship him. I will recount his benefits in salvation. I will lift the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord other words, I will abide in him. I will abide with him. Not just in this sanctuary when we come in for worship. Not just when we come in together corporately, although we do that here. But I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will praise his name when I work, when I play, when I go to school, wherever I am. Because his benefits aren't just for in here his benefits for every day. Every day that I live, every step that I take is in the power of the Lord. This meal that we're coming to this morning represents that. It represents that we come to his table to remember his death and proclaim his death. Until when? Until he returns. We're also saying to a watching world that's watching these elements as they, they are partaken of, He's coming again. You know, maybe we don't talk about that enough, but He is coming again in all His glory. In all His glory to judge those who refuse to trust Him and to give A new home and a new body and a new life to those who have we believe he's coming again so we come to this table we say he died for us his blood was shed his body was given he died in our place he took our sin upon himself so who partakes of this meal you if you're been around here much, you know, that my view is this is the Lord's meal, it's not the church's meal. It's not Grace Baptist meal, it's not the Baptist meal, it's the Lord's Supper. It's for everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and been baptized to demonstrate their commitment to him. So whether you're a member of Grace or not, if you know the Lord, I invite you to this table this morning. I invite you to come and take of that bread and take of that That cup and think about his death, his body given, his blood shed, the blood of the new covenant, that we might live, that we might know him, that we might have our sins forgiven, removed from us as far as the east is from the west, that we might come to him and know him in an intimate relationship through his son jesus christ and through what his son did on that cross we come to proclaim his death until he returns would you bow your heads with me please with your heads bowed and your eyes closed i'm going to ask those who will be serving this meal to prepare themselves and come and prepare to serve it With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to participate in this meal? Have I examined myself? Do I know the Lord? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, I, I ask you not to partake, but rather to... Just let it pass by you. And think about what is being said through this picture. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have, you have trusted Him and, and you have examined yourself, I invite you to participate in this meal. and Take of it with us as we celebrate His grace this morning. Father, We ask your blessings on this bread and upon this fruit of the vine. We ask, O Lord, that you would show us your glory in this place as we participate in this meal. Father, we thank you for your covenant death, for your violent death for your sacrificial death that broke the chains of sin in all who believe. Thank you, Father, for we pray in Jesus' name. You continue to pray as we prepare this elements. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are in the household of the faith. See with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. That is, follow the law simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation those who will walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the israel of god the Jews were grumbling about him because he said I am the bread that came down out of heaven they were saying is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say I have come down out of heaven and Jesus answered and said to them do not grumble among yourselves no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your Fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread also which I give for life of the world is my flesh. Both the Gospels and the Apostle Paul tell us what happened on that night. He said, this bread that we're using in the Passover is now to be viewed as my body that's given for you. Take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the the new covenant in my blood. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us all about the new covenant, quoting Jeremiah 31, that it's a a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant that has fulfilled the old covenant and fulfills it in Christ. He said, this blood is the blood of my new covenant. It, It seals the covenant. If you're a believer, this is what seals the covenant for you. He said, take it and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. The scripture says that there's, after that they sang a hymn and went out. We're going to sing a hymn, but we're not going to immediately go out. As we sing the hymn, me and the candidates for baptism are going to prepare. I'm going to ask Brother Scott if he'll stand here at the front as a, during our time of commitment, our time of invitation. As God leads in your life this morning, perhaps you've seen these elements, that the Spirit of God has spoken to you and said, you need to come to Christ. You need to confess Christ. You need to come and talk with Scott. And uh, perhaps you're being led to be a part of this church family. This afternoon we have our Grace Connect class. I I'll talk more about that in a minute, but as God works in your life, you be obedient. Hear the word of the Lord, and come as we as we sing in a moment. Also, as is our custom as we leave here this morning, we take an extra offering on, on Lord's Supper Day. It's a caris offering. Uh, Keras offering goes to the needs within our church body. We have a benevolence fund that helps people outside the church, but this is just for people in our church that have needs arise. And we've used it a lot lately because of the economy and all. And I just encourage you to uh, pocket change or whatever you can drop in the buckets they'll have out back. Uh, You be faithful in doing that. As we sing our hymn of commitment, would you stand together and Brother Scott will come and stand. Let's sing together.